0: Hey everybody, thanks for checking out Bleach Mouth Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest from the Akron area, Northeast Ohio area, but not always, and they come armed with five pieces of music. It can be an LP, an EP, a song, doesn't matter as long as we're talking about music. Today I have uh, drummer John Vinson. John is the drummer in my current project, uh, Persistent Aggressor, as well as Axioma, Six Kills Nine, Sometimes Child Bite, Jesus Egg. He was a drummer for Forged in Flame. And uh, he's a drum instructor. Uh, John has a pretty deep catalog of uh, records he's played on. And is an incredibly busy, busy man. So I was really grateful that we got to sit around and talk. Uh, Anyway, this is in two parts as always. Uh, This is part one. Uh, Part two is up now. So once you finish up here, go ahead and check out part two. Thanks. So. I already started recording. Okay, cool. Just because <coughs> uh, I'll record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a genius. I've done it before several times. Well, early on, not so much later. You um, know, <laughs>
1: um, so, uh, XDOMO, we did this, this show at the Grog Shop. and How'd that go? Ah. <laughs> it was, it was a little awkward. So uh, we were recording it. We were going to do like the, it was 30 people was the max capacity because of the COVID restrictions. So we're going to use that and then record and film the whole show. And we were doing this uh, festival called Mutants of the Monster. Mm hmm. And uh, so, you know, I run so much shit with that band. Like we have the synchronized lights, I'm running click tracks and I was recording it and uh, hit record and only recorded the kick drum. (laughs) So like all the other shit was missing from the session. And I realized that during the first song and like even in the video, you can see me like looking over at my computer, like, oh fuck dude, oh fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So I know your pain.
0: Well, I mean, yours is much, much more tricky. So, I mean, you have a lot more going on than I do. All I have to do is hit a fucking button. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about, you know, nonsense. You know. Yeah. How how have you How have you been otherwise during this whole COVID thing?
1: Pretty good. Um, You know, it it hit my uh, my business sort of. You know, I'm teaching drums, went uh, online for a while, and that really, I think I lost probably about half my students. Wow. And yeah, it was a rough couple months, but you know, didn't get into any debt or anything. So that's good. And then uh, once things started opening back up and getting back into person, I'm I pretty much got right back up to capacity pretty quick. So the other thing that's just interesting about the, the whole pandemic thing, I feel weird that, you know, it just seems like that's always the first thing that comes up in a conversation, but Um, it's really hard to work up motivation to want to do anything when there's not the payoff of like, Hey, we're playing a show, you know? Right. Um, I, you know, out of the multiple projects I have, it's like pretty much Axioma has been practicing and writing and that's it. Like,
0: but if you guys are working towards a record, there's a goal, an end goal. Yes. Anyway. Um, so I'm just going to get formal with you right now cool i'm gonna hit start right now okay right now like right now (laughs) pretend pretend these are pretend these are starting blocks and you're getting to run one of your fucking (laughs) 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 marathons. when did you when did you start playing drums how old were
1: you uh i was actually 16 okay so uh i initially started on guitar actually um I wanted to start my parents said i could take music lessons and the first thing i said was drums and they were not into that at all so uh after back and forth for a while i just decided okay i'll give guitar a try and so i actually started guitar when i was 10 years old and uh i, I didn't take it super seriously um i remember like before my lessons there was like just a little bit of drum stuff they had at the music store and i would always just look at that and uh, like, didn't practice as much as I wanted to, or as much as I should have. And now that I'm older, I'm like, well, I should have, because then I'd be a sweeter guitar player too.
2: Yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, that kind of set the the stage for like, you know, I did. It's I liken it to speaking other languages, where you know, if you speak one language and learn a second, and then a third, each one successively gets easier. Yeah. So I did like. The guitar for a few years um i did piano a little bit in that too and so by the time i was 16 like i did take lessons but i kind of had like a self-taught vibe for a little while that you know it wasn't a total train wreck i can i can
0: speak to that not <laughs> because i play any instruments but my grandfather on my mom's side was a musician he uh, was a pianist and played jazz but he could pick up pretty much any instrument and suss it out pretty quickly like That's he so was, awesome well he was he could play trumpet that was an instrument he said I play trumpet he could play a little bit of guitar he could say I play guitar uh I was taking trombone when I was in seventh grade and he could do that you know yeah um, and he could he could beat on the drums a little bit you know because he, he had limb separation but it was mostly just the only time I ever really saw him do it is when he's trying to show the drummer in his little jazz combo. He's like, I'm kind of looking for this. And my grandpa would straight up, get up and walk over and say, no, you need to play this. He, he, that's awesome. Well, you know, he was band director at St. V's in the fifties and he took, um, their band to several like big parades throughout the country. He was very much a, musician is musician you know problem was he ended up having nine kids and 32 grandchildren so oh geez you know that takes a backseat to everything and the funny thing is i think i'm the only person on that side of the family that ever took music seriously aside at least to the level i have and yet i don't play a single instrument he's probably you know if there's an afterlife well i know there's no afterlife but let's pretend that there is yeah (laughs) in 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 the other universe that he exists in right now he's probably like this fucking idiot, you know, <laughs> all he does is scream. What the fuck is this? You know, well, like, Yeah. You but know. that's, that's
1: kind of a generational thing though. If he was born like a year before you, he'd probably be like, Oh yeah. Like I'm in hardcore too, you know?
0: Well, maybe I, I think that in some ways I'm fundamentally lazy about things, you know, mm-hmm. or, or maybe lazy. I'm impatient, you know, um, I was I originally picked up bass after Splinter because I had decided I wanted to start writing music, you know. And I never let myself get good at it because there was always a bass player who was better. I'm like, okay, well they can do it, and nobody ever wanted to sing, so it kind of fall on fall to me to do it. And I tried to seriously consider playing bass with Don Austin when we very first started. In fact, uh-huh. I was bef- we did it before Dave did this eight track demo for us. I was playing bass in the band, but I was like I want to be playing shows by August and it's March and I this does not sound good. So Jim, you need to move to bass. I guess I'll fucking sing.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So it's always been that it's more like I've been like we need to be doing this, this and this and it doesn't have to be happen real fast. We don't have to do a lot, but I am goal oriented and it's like, well, this is the benchmark. And I don't mind taking time to get there, but at least now I don't mind taking time to get to get there. But back then I was like, no, if we're going to be playing by August, this is not going to fly. I'm not getting up and putting on a bad show with me yeah and bass. So, um, but That's... yeah, I mean, I, I I've noticed that people who play one instrument can pick up another one pretty quickly if they try really hard. You know, Dave yeah. is a perfect example of that. You know? yeah
1: dave is just ridiculous with that yeah uh, we've had multiple conversations between like musical friends where it's just like that asshole like he could do a one-man band that would be better than pretty much every band that's in cleveland right now <laughs>
0: well he's he's kind of trying to but he just doesn't have the time to do it right now you know but uh yeah i, I don't want to give up any of his secrets you know um <laughs> so you started playing drums at 16 and you know, it doesn't have to be a record from the list you sent me, but was there anything that kind of made you say, okay, maybe I should pick up drums and maybe I do need to start taking this seriously. Uh,
1: Actually the, the one record that like really, uh, this is going to sound kind of cringy, but uh, a record that really got me into drumming was uh biohazard uh, urban discipline.
0: No, that's that, not cringy. I mean, no, go ahead. I'll I'll tell you why it's not, but go ahead. Oh, okay.
1: Um, I mean, just going back, it's kind of interesting to me how like certain stuff that I held in such high regard when I was younger, now that I listen to it, it's like, it just doesn't interest me anymore. It's, you know, Metallica is the perfect example. Like, I was so into them when I was a kid. And now it's just like, eh, you know, I've kind of moved past that. Not to, like, take anything away from that band, but it's just not as interesting to me. Right. so Biohazard was uh, what I really liked about them was the drummer just had sheer attitude of just I was used to hearing music where drummers were playing just the ride or the hi hat. And he was just on the crash of the China all the time and just yeah. really aggressive with it. But he still had a little bit of finesse to his playing and was able to do not total like funk oriented stuff, but there's like a little tinge of it behind that. And, he, had, uh, he had
0: some swing to his playing. His name is Danny Schuller.
1: Danny Schuller, that's right. And I,
0: and I only know that because, as much as I dislike Biohazard and I dislike dislike them immensely, like for a multitude of reasons, I, I recognize that guy's a pretty good drummer. Yeah, you know, I he I don't like the his style of playing all the time because he does do the like that China symbol thing that and crashing and that sort of. Um, I don't know. uh, Trying to ape a sort of truncated hip hop beat to his drumming on on their, you know, uh, everybody jump up parts. Yeah, I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I I just have no use for that, you know. But absolutely, his timing. I mean, he has time, and you can hear it. And that band would not work, whether I like them or not. That formula works. Right. Yeah. It it works and it wouldn't work without him. I mean, most bands don't work without their drummers, but, you know, particularly for a band that is really going for just mostly mosh parts and breakdowns, you know, you have to have a drummer that's really good.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Otherwise you're just getting a guy who's like defeating the whole purpose of those everybody jump up parts. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um but so from so Biohazard made you want to pick up drums and tried I mean you were already interested in them, but that was the that was the turning point for you?
1: That was yeah, that was the first band where I was like just hyper focused on what the drummer was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I always appreciated stuff when I was younger. Um, but it just was more of a collective appreciation versus like honing in on one instrument of what I was listening to.
0: Yeah. Prior to that, were you focusing on, no, you just answered my question. You weren't, that was the first band you really focused on drums, but yeah. Um. So like who came after that? I mean, that must've opened the door to like, listen to other drummers. I mean, did you, was it, was it everywhere at that point? Like, Oh wait, we you looking at all drummers after that or
1: pretty much yeah um i mean the one guy who everyone mentions is uh gene hoagland i mean that dude is just a complete yes. powerhouse
2: yes.
1: and uh i mean like hearing him um you know i i wasn't around like for the early death stuff you know like mm-hmm. uh I heard Spiritual Healing and, you know, Scream Bloody Gore and stuff like that after I had heard Symbolic. Like, that was the first death record I had any exposure to. Yeah. So, um, he was a big one. And, uh... Man, a lot of it was a blur. And the thing that's crazy is like drummers are just such an interesting breed because they will listen to complete garbage if it has a good drummer. You know, <laughs>
2: um,
1: I remember when I was like 17, I got into like Dave Matthews band because the drummer's just sick.
0: He is. And
1: good. it's. It, It's one of those bands, my friend used to say uh, he had the greatest idea for Invention Ever, which is the Delete Vocals button. And it's like, if you could get rid of those vocals, it would actually be listenable.
0: Well, no, it's not just the vocals, but (laughs) there's a lot like that band that is (laughs) Well, you don't like sax solos? no? (laughs) The the, the drumming is definitely not bad. Um,
1: Yeah. But again, it's one of those things, like I'll put it on and it's like, oh yeah, this drumming is amazing, but then the other stuff kind of... Just grates at your ears at the same time, you know. Yeah.
0: I remember, um, yeah, you know, back circling back to Gene Hoglan a bit. I, I first heard him when he was in Dark Angel, and yeah. I didn't know much about him. I was like, "Oh, this guy's really fucking good." And um, I was really young in my ignorant mind. I'm like, "Well, he's no, he's nowhere near as good as Dave Lombardo." Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, I was just like, blah, blah, which is totally not true. You know I mean I prefer Lombardo but that's because the the stuff he did with slayer is more that's kind of the whole package I, I look I look at that and I'm like well that his contribution to that makes me appreciate him more than I say do Gene Hoagland stuff you know yeah but Gene Hoagland's every bit as good so there's and, a- and, and, and I thought and there, there was an article I read somewhere where dave Lombardo was like yeah I didn't Play double bass very well until gene showed me or something to that effect yeah he was he was like gene had to show me how to do it the correct way and i was like wow that's pretty intense
3: the am gonna be a pericross,
0: up there as far as drummers go you know um particularly in in the big four and you've got some heavy hitters depending on what era of which band you're talking about i mean say what you want about anthrax but charlie benante is a great drummer he's a really good drummer
1: charlie benante actually um some of the later anthrax records are there is some just jaw-dropping drumming on them like even to this day he's still doing like interesting and creative things that you haven't heard him play before you know
0: i wonder if he's looking i wonder if it's because he's looking at it from a guitar player's perspective because he's a really good guitar player yeah and i wonder if he's if he's saying well he's i wonder if he's composing the entire song in his head not just following with what every i mean that He's probably looking at it through a different lens altogether, whereas Dave Lombardo might not be looking at it like that, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you and I have talked about it. In fact, I think I even asked you whether drummers, drummers, ever talk about Gar Samuelson. Like everybody talks about. I don't know who played on Rust in Peace. Who was it? Was that Nick Menza? Nick Menza, yeah. Yeah, everybody talks about Nick Menza, which is completely reasonable. But I always thought, yeah, Gar Samuelson was pretty fucking good too.
1: No, so, I. He was better than Nick Menza, I think.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I haven't compared the two because Rust in Peace is definitely not my go-to. I stick with the first two pretty much, and then that's it. You know, okay, so yeah. I, I haven't really taken a deep dive to really make that comparison. I just know that some of my drummer friends prefer Nick Menza over Gar, and I never hear Gar's name brought up
1: by yeah. anybody generally.
0: Um, but so when you talk about the big four, you got like, uh, we'll just say Gar, Charlie, Dave, and Lars.
1: Yeah. And You know,
0: I just, <laughs> to say that uh, Gene Hoagland is every bit as good as any of those names I mentioned, you know, that's kind of saying a lot. Because right there are three great drummers and one guy who is a businessman.
1: <laughs> well,
0: you know, and hey, listen, I can't play drums as good as Lars Ulrich.
1: Yeah, neither can Lars.
0: Well, no, and it's it's you know, you know, I'm sitting here crapping all over the guy, and yet I love Venom. And face it, Abaddon's not a great drummer. Yeah, <laughs> but there's something to it, right? Yeah. So yeah,
1: um, I I think a lot of the Lars hatred comes from the fact that the dude used to be a good drummer, and it's just obvious that 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 guy doesn't practice anymore. And like, he can't pull off the stuff that he used to do on the older records.
0: Like, I don't think it's necessary. You know, honestly, I don't think what he does on the older records is necessarily bad, but I just think for a lot of, um, because I can't, I don't compare it to any of the newer stuff. Cause I, I checked out after master of puppets. Like I was, yeah. I checked out, you know, what, you weren't I, a fan like, of load. Well, I wasn't <laughs> even a fan of injustice for all. So, yeah. You know, And I would listen to stuff here and there. So I didn't really have any frame of reference to compare new stuff to old stuff. But even when I listened to the old stuff, I'm like, there's moments there. Yeah. But most of it, I'm just like, yeah, a lot of people used to talk about this guy in glowing terms. And I just, there are better drummers, way better drummers. That Absolutely. You know? Um, Yeah. So Gene Hoagland was, was a, was a big name and, from there did you uh fall into any of the records on your list because i mean if we were talking about gene hoagland i automatically would steer well not would i am going to steer a conversation into morbid angel was pete sandoval still the the, the drummer on that record Gateways yes yes okay.
1: um was that yes. your
0: introduction to him
1: uh no so um my introduction to Pete would have been on, I don't know if I heard Covenant or Domination first. Okay. Um, both just amazing records. But uh, I feel like Gateways to Annihilation was, uh, on paper it should not have worked. I don't know if you've listened to that record, but... Uh, okay. So, um, you know, they had a, a bit more of an organic drum sound on... The earlier stuff and this record it just sounds like it was recorded on a drum machine and it was coming out at the time that bands like underground metal bands were really starting to overproduce and like you know quantize everything and sound replace all the drum samples and everything and this was just an interesting take on that of it was a very synthetic drum sound but with a really organic human feel to it Where there's, it's a little rough around the edges, and I just love that about that record. But, um, I mean, naturally, just his last beats and his feet, just, you know, that, who wouldn't want to do that, you know? (laughs)
0: My first introduction to them was Alters of Madness. Actually, it was the Grind Crusher comp because they had the song Chapel of Ghouls from Alters of Madness on that. And so I bought that album and I love it. I think it's a great record. But for some reason, I never followed up on anything. I always kept track of them because I felt that they were good. Maybe that's something I would dive into later. But I never did. The closest thing I came to it was you know, right after – getting altars of madness i got a reissue of the terrorizer lp which he's on as well yeah and that and part terrorizer part they part were on the grind
1: crusher record too right
0: they were um but i okay. bought i bought altars of madness first and i got
1: then that uh, one right after the
0: terrorizer one which i yeah. thought was cool because it was like you know um dude from uh Mitch Harris, I think, who went on to be in Napalm Death, David Vincent, and Pete Sandoval, and this guy, Oscar Garcia, yeah, who who was in some band called Nausea that I dislike immensely for a number of reasons. (laughs) Not not least of which that he could have done his research and saw there was a superior band from New York City that had the same fucking name. Oh, shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah, that terrorizer record is phenomenal. And I, I think that's actually still stands as like Pete's best playing. I think just uh I feel as he got older he wasn't hitting as hard as he did on that record. Do you feel and he's
0: playing faster?
1: He's definitely playing faster on the Morbid Angel stuff for sure.
0: Let me ask you, so you know my understanding of it is that, you know, the faster you play, the harder it is to hit hard i mean it makes yeah. sense do you have difficulty with that generally speaking
1: absolutely yeah. yeah um it's so i noticed when i'm playing you know um especially i mean persistent aggressor stuff i'm not like flying on the double kicks at all but oh. uh like doing the axioma thing there's parts with slow double kick and it sounds strong and then when we get to the tempo picking up i'm like oh shit this is like it sounds like I'm playing on, like, a tiny little drum, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it's a constant struggle. And it's it's an obstacle that you create for yourself, you know? Part of being a good drummer is having that consistency and, like, knowing that your skills lie at playing at a certain volume level. If you're playing slower and just bashing the hell out of it, well, yeah, then it's obviously going to be quieter when you're going super fast.
0: Yeah.
1: And so it's, like, a tough... Uh, a tough thing to reconcile when you're actually playing.
0: You find yourself pulling back on the slower parts, So there's not that difference between the two that it's not so prominent
1: or. I find myself thinking that I should, but I can never actually force myself to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, it's cool. I'll just get really heavy footed or heavy handed on the fast parts.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because um, you and I have talked about this. I love drummers I love rhythm sections you know even though I yell and scream like you know anybody with half a brain that understands music at all and I understand like this much like very very little
1: yeah I don't think you give yourself enough credit but yeah
0: thank you but compared to people who actually are musicians I understand very little but I got early on my grandfather told me that you really if your rhythm section is shit your band is going to be shit you have to have a good bass player or at least uh, a pianist with a good left hand if they're playing without a bass and a drummer that has time and doesn't overdo it yeah which is funny because sometimes i i've seen my grand i saw my grandpa say no i need you to do this and what he was having him do was kind of tricky <laughs> <laughs> okay grandpa whatever you say but yeah. i mean, to him that wasn't showy but um so I've always kind of like really been you know clued in on that but the problem is that I found and it was my biggest complaint about metal bands sometimes is that I'm like yo you guys are overplaying not you but drummers I'm like oh "Oh, yeah pare it down I don't need double kick through the whole song that works for very few bands like I can count them on one hand. Uh, Axiom is one of them. Um, Morbid Angel has a ton of double kick on Alters of Madness. It's all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's not many other ones. Like, people, like, again, circling back to Dave Lombardo, people look at him for his double kick, and I'm like, do you realize he doesn't do that much double kick? I mean, in the big if you look at his whole body of work with Slayer, there's not a ton of it. It's just yeah. in the right places. One band I could never get into, and it's on your list, because of that sort of um, complicated structure and what I felt was overplaying is Meshuggah. Destroy, Absolutely. Destroy, Erase, Improve is, from what people have told me, is like their high point record, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not completely opposed to them. So I want you to sell me on them right now. Knowing what you know about me and how I feel about that sort of thing, what, if I take the time to revisit this record, what should I really be looking for? And what do I need to sort of um, erase from my uh, biases before I go into this?
1: Um, well, I think, I mean, just being into like metal and hardcore. You're kind of used to the idea of melodic tension and dissonance is like really heavily used in a lot of the music that we listen to. And this is the first record where they kind of introduce like the rhythmic aspect of that and just really trying to shift the perspective of what you're listening to. It's a straight feel, but just odd groupings that really kind of make those patterns uh they're just more interesting to listen to and uh, it's it's tough because Mushuga is such a cliche now um I feel like every band like they pretty much touched off a whole genre of Mushuga clones what but, do they call
0: it? what what's that genre is it beatdown? uh gent gent
1: yeah okay
0: d-j-e-n-t um, gent. yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, because that's what it sounds like. The guitar chord sounds like the gent gent gent. That's why it's called that. Which I think is probably the worst genre name ever. Yeah, but um, no, it's just like an interesting. Um, I think one of the things that really sold me on the record, which I don't know if would be of interest to you, and I wanted to find the liner notes just to bring it up, but um, their list of influences that they used in creating that record is pretty crazy. Um. I think they mentioned, I know two that they did mention, one was Tori Amos, which I couldn't name a single one of her songs, but uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra was another one where they just got like a bit more of a dynamic slant to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of like jazz fusion guitar solo stuff and I don't know if Mahavishnu I could sell you on that. Knowing you, I don't know if I could sell you on that record, honestly. Well, I mean, look,
0: I mean, I was, I've, I was open in the past to listen to Mahavishnu Orchestra because I had a couple of musicians that I really admire told me they really liked that record, and um, there was a lot in there that I enjoyed, but it's not a record I would want to sit and live with. You yeah, know, because it was just you know, it just wasn't my speed. You know, I think a lot of people equate that with like jazz and. Stuff like that, and it's not, you know, jet, jet. I, I think when they do that, they're doing it erroneously because jazz is a whole other thing, completely, absolutely, separate yeah, separate from that. Um, I never really felt that Meshuggah was generic, you know, in the yeah. way that you sort of described it, but um, I knew that there was a there was a certain type of sound that came from it. I just uh misattributed beatdown music to them
1: yeah. as gent you know <laughs> well it's not um, so much that they're generic but it's that it it just touched off such a they influenced so many bands that and I still think that like out of all the records that I hear of bands that do that style Meshuggah still does it the best they still have the most like interesting take on that style but it's just so overplayed that
0: what's the best song on that record or your favorite at least
1: um oh shit I can't remember the name of it it's the last track it's not suffering true uh, sub levels <laughs> Yeah, and and that record is a bit more organic compared to what they do now. Like, to me, the band sounds like they program out a lot of what they do and then Mm -hmm. learn what they program, where that sounds like a group of guys that got in a room together and hashed out all these parts.
0: It's funny because I'm looking at these um, uh, track links, and they're not... They're not... uh, incredibly long like there's a couple that are under four minutes which surprises me for some reason in my head i've got it in my head i imagined this the songs to be much longer closer to six minutes now there are there are a few over five you know and i think that's that's where i get lost is when people have really complex time signatures the songs bleed together to me like I'm, i'm always looking for a a buddy of mine teased me and said, Gargus likes the pop format. And I finally took ownership of it. Cause I guess <laughs> I do. I mean um, I have to have a good hook and not that there aren't hooks on here, but when you have so many thrown at you, sometimes you lose the plot a bit, but I think, I think I should go back and listen to this record. I think I've listened to it through maybe twice a long time ago, I think close to when it came out, but I've always been sort because so many so many people I know talk about them in such glowing terms that maybe I maybe I thought well am I missing the boat on this one because you know you and I have talked that always go on about how like I don't like shit that's too complicated and overplaying there are some bands who get away with it but not everybody does and I think maybe I should look try to look at this through a different uh, through a different lens and yeah. see where
1: it takes me. I mean, there's certainly plenty of overplaying on that record for sure. I mean,
0: some people get away with it. I mean, you know, for example, when I I did that, um, that metal, uh, underrated metal episode where I just talked about a couple records, you know, Coroner, there are plenty of moments where they could overplay because they're playing super complex stuff. But the thing was, they never lost the through line and they always were, um, slave to the melody of the song like they sort of established that first and everything flourished around that yeah um, i think on that episode dbc dead brain cells was the one band that kind of didn't really tie themselves to that but the songs were so short and compact that you could kind of you know get away with it um that's why Nazm works as well because oh, nazim yeah. is, is not at all like Meshuggah, but when you talk about bands playing really complex riffs, or at least riffs that are dense based on their guitar tone, Nazem has sort of mastered the idea of of carrying a melody still, which is astonishing when you think about how abrasive their music actually is, you know? Um, Yeah,
1: they're like the catchiest grind band ever. Oh, for sure. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not used to hearing hooks in grind music and they pull it off, so it seems like... They don't even think about it. They just, here's an awesome song. Here's another one. Those
0: guys and um, I think that um, and I like I like a lot of grind um, a lot more than my complaint about over overly complicated songs would lead you to believe. But yeah, you know, going back to Miss the the problem with like grind and every other advent of whatever sub micro genre you want to come up with is you get four or five of the greats of that and the rest are just hangers on and not yeah. really as good And I mean Sugar is probably a good example of what you're talking about when you talk about grind um there might be more than four or five i mean i'm confident that there are but um there are a multitude of grind bands that aren't you know even half as good as say like napalm death or you know any of the other originators of it yeah um so you talk about melody or i've been talking about melody um I guess yes would qualify as a band that super complex but has tons of melody.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, they were always interesting to me, and I don't know if this is just like a, a fan base thing, but it seems like every player in that band was a complete powerhouse. Like, um, who's the I bass don't...
0: player? A lot of people talk about Chris Squire. Chris Squire, yeah. Right. Um, um
1: I mean, his bass tone just i i feel like that touched off i mean that's almost like a metal bass tone it's really driving and aggressive um you know people like us you know we know who all the guys in slayer are or all the guys in metallica or whatever but most people just know like hammett and hetfield or you know hanneman and king and uh yeah it just seems like in yes everyone like you know the singer Phenomenal guitarist, the keyboardist, everything. It's just, uh, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of their stuff from, uh, my dad was really into Yes. And it wasn't until I kind of went out on my own and searched more of their stuff because he was into like, you know, their big hits like Roundabout and, uh, what else was there? Starship Trooper, Heart of the Sunrise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then I'm like, oh, well, that stuff's cool, but have you heard this, like, what is it, like 20-minute song on this one record, you know? <laughs> um, they were certainly overindulgent with, like, the, the song lengths and everything, but um, I just yeah, really he- appreciate the vocal harmonies and everything in there, too, you know?
0: Well, what's crazy is that, like, I don't know a ton of yes. I know, like, Roundabout, and then I know some stuff from the 80s, but, you know, I never really... I didn't have any pre-prejudices against them even though they're classified as a prog rock band, which normally is a huge turnoff to me. Yeah. But automatically I'm just like fuck that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I never felt that way about Yes or had that same bias against them because I liked Roundabout so much. I'm like that's a cool song. I mean um Steve Howe's a great guitar player and the guy who played drums on this record you have close to the edge is Bill Bruford, yeah, he he ended up in King Crimson. Crimson
1: Yeah, his uh, yeah he was. What's that record? Red Uh is probably some of his best playing with King Crimson. Okay, but anyways,
0: yeah. So I mean, I don't really have any particular version to yes, although my general taste would indicate otherwise. I I just don't because again, we were talking about melody and all the songs I've heard from Yes, even their eighties i guess Drek. you i don't think it's Drek, but somebody who's been a long time fan might think it's Drek. yeah even that's good melodies i like the vocals you know um yeah this is probably another thing i would need to take a look at um boy these songs are fucking long aren't
1: they yeah it's a it's one record and it's three songs and it's <laughs> filled up both sides yeah
0: jesus christ
1: and <laughs> So I think if you actually look up the records on Spotify, like uh, Close to the Edge is, what is it? Is it like 18, 20 minutes, something like that? Um, They actually break it into sections where you can skip around within the song. I think, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they broke it into like five or six tracks or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, they seem like a band where I think for me to dive into them maybe not listen to yeah they've got like close to the edge there's four movements (laughs) uh the solid time of change total mass retain i get up i get down and seasons of man and even side two there's a song called uh and you and i and that's broken up into four parts as well yeah interesting um, yeah, yes seems like the kind of band where if I were to listen to them, I don't think I would tackle a whole album. I think I would just go on to Apple Music and say play yes and just yeah, let go and then maybe pick songs based on that because not just this record, but they've got a pretty deep catalog and it just seems um impenetrable for yeah, me, particularly yeah. for a person who doesn't like anything remotely that progressive but again all the melodies i've heard from their more popular songs i'm like yeah you know maybe i should check them out and that's that's a blind spot for prog rock in general is a well no it's not a blind spot for me because i've listened to a lot of it but it's something i don't gravitate towards but yes themselves are a blind spot
1: Yeah. There's certainly an acquired, like you get into that. I mean, this record close to the edge is just, it's an acquired taste, you know?
0: Do you generally like, um, prog bands or no?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I have like a huge streak of like seventies progressive rock. Like, uh, actually the first concert I ever went to was Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Oh, for real. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was like 10, my parents, my parents were like, you know, Oh, we want you to experience a concert before you're 18. And then like, you know, by the time I'm 15, I'm playing shows every weekend. But, uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, I was like, uh, not so much into Emerson, Lake and Palmer, but like definitely yes, Jethro Tull, King Crimson, Gentle Giant, all that kind of stuff. I never really got heavy into Genesis. I know that a lot of people love them, but yeah, I, I never dove into that.
0: I mean, my my one exception aside from yes, yeah, or there are certain tunes off of uh, um in the court of the Crimson King, and not just 21st century skin. So, I mean, that's a great song, but there's other stuff on there that I enjoy. But yeah, Genesis, I can't abide Genesis in any way, shape, or form. I yeah. recognize that they're good musicians, and you know. You know Phil Collins, is a good drummer, man.
1: He is, yeah. He's a
0: good drummer, you know. But I just, uh, I get a headache in my eye just thinking about them sometimes. I'm like, yeah.
1: you know. You know. Um, oh, and I, I have to mention Frank Zappa too. That's a huge one. That's just like yeah,
0: see, my my younger brother Brent loves Frank Zappa, and he just he doesn't understand why I don't like Zappa. And he's, he hinges his whole argument on like, but you like weird stuff, you know. And, and I'm like, Zappa is a far cry from, say, Devo. Oh, yeah. Or Klaus Nomi or uh, the Crucifix, anything kind of off kilter and bizarre. Like, I really like, like a lot of the Akron sound bands. Like, those are some weird fucking bands, you know? Yeah frank Zappa was a whole other thing like a lot of it just is everything i kind of hate about progressive rock <laughs> all right that's the end of part one of my conversation with john Vincent. as always this is in two parts part two is up now check it out